three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, I can't with some of these people. Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, Would you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. Seriously, that legit happened. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nervous Habits. I've got a double header for all of you today, so hopefully you brought your gloves. First, I'll be talking about the shopping cart theory and what your decision on whether or not to return your shopping cart at the supermarket can tell you about whether you're a good person and what this has to do with wearing a mask during the COVID-19 pandemic. Then I'll be joined by certified health and life coach and CEO of livinghealthless.com, Denise Stiegel, for a conversation on real food. We'll be exploring issues including what is responsible for the explosion in demand for real food in the last decade, the problem with eating fruits and vegetables with pesticides on them, why you should avoid eating meat that has been injected with antibiotics, and finally, the dirty dozen, the 12 fruits and vegetables that you absolutely should be buying organically. All that and so much more on another episode of Nervous Habits. Hey guys, hope you're... Your week, your month is going is going well. I guess we're in early September now when this is being released. So um, some folks are potentially trickling back into the office. Um, you know, there I, I know in D.C. some uh, corporations and uh, you know small and large businesses are staggering having folks come in one at a time. Not sure what the situation will be at law school for me um, because. It's sort of in DC. It's it's sort of um, very dynamic, and I know originally over the summer we were told it would be a hybrid. You know, come into class once a week, largely remote. So I can't say like at the time that this is being recorded in late July. I don't know if that's you know going to end up still being the case. I actually got a COVID test earlier today. If you want to know what the experience was like, there's a uh, website in DC where you, um, I just Google searched or DuckDuckGo searched um, uh, COVID test DC and you go to, um, for me, it was a couple blocks away and they had these tents. They had uh, public health officials and folks from the armed uh, forces um, sort of manning the posts. You pre-register online. So you show up, you give them your name and your birth date. They uh, direct you to a tent where you're given a small little test tube that has a number that's been assigned to you that matches your birth date. And then a nurse comes by with a, uh, like a, a Q-tip and she asks you to lower your mask. And then she puts the Q-tip in East nostril and, and spins it around a little bit. Um, it's, it's funny right before she inject, she, uh, inserted the, the Q-tip, she, she sort of intimidated me by saying, um, oh, if it, you know, if it feels like I'm touching your brain, like, don't be alarmed. I'm not. So I was a little bit squeamish. Um, but it honestly, it, it wasn't that bad. It lasted, you know, she, she took the sample, um, took the Ziploc bag and told me that I should get my results via email in five to seven business days. Uh, the whole thing lasted about 10 minutes. I didn't have to wait very long and, um, everyone was very kind and accommodating. So I'll find out, um, if I have COVID, I don't think it's an antibody test. So I think I'm, I would, I'll just find out if I have it now, but obviously, you know, I'm going to be seeing my family soon. So I want to make sure that I'm being safe and not putting anyone at unnecessary risk. But, uh, yeah, the summer's, you know, summer's winding down. Um, and again, like at the time that this is being released, 
everyone's back to school, back to work. Uh, summer is the thing of the past. So hopefully we get some more uh, news on a vaccine soon. I know, um, at, again, at the time that this podcast is being recorded, there was a, re- a news report that the United States government paid close to $2 billion to Pfizer for $100 million COVID-19 vaccine doses, which they would offer to the public free of charge, um, which is, you know, if you have stock in, in Pfizer, that's good news. But also for, for us, it's it's encouraging that, you know, it might be another four or five months before Pfizer produces a vaccine. Although, as I've said, you know, many times, and, you know, as, as people are discussing, the distribution is is the next you know the next hurdle climb would be distribution how are we going to get this out to 100 million people is it going to be you know everyone signs up at cvs between 6 a.m and 10 a.m because that would be a disaster i mean i don't know or would it be another situation like with the tents where they have public officials administering vaccines and tents because again then it's a question of you know how do you how would that work logistically i mean people are people lining up waiting all day and uh i don't know it's but at least, at least, you know, hopefully we're close. And I think something to keep in mind for people who are feeling down because of this pandemic that's been raging since February, that this isn't forever and we're close. We are close. Just got to get through 2020 and hopefully it'll be better. Um, so I wanted to, I know a lot of this episode is about health and wellness. I'm going to be joined by uh, Denise Stiegel, who I'll, I'll introduce in a little bit, but I read something interesting on Reddit the other day that I wanted to, to share with you because uh, one of my interests, you know, if you've been listening to the pod for a long time, is is philosophy and, and and ethics and you know what it means to be a good person. So someone posted on Reddit, and this this made its rounds across the internet um, in the past couple of weeks, but they created this this notion of the shopping cart theory, which I'll, I'll read you excerpts from it. But it's the idea that the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. So you go to the supermarket, you do your food shopping, you take the cart out to the parking lot, you unpack your bags into into the trunk, and then what do you do with the cart? Because to return the shopping cart, the post says, is an easy, convenient task, and one which we all recognize is the appropriate and correct thing to do. You know, to return the shopping cart is objectively right. There's really no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. But on the other hand, the post says, it's not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. You know, you're not going to get a ticket. You're not going to get a fine. It's it's pretty much like you, you choose. You have the ultimate agency. Do you want to take the extra 10 seconds, wheel your cart over to the, uh, to the little, uh, whatever, the vestibule, whatever it's called, um, or do you just leave it in the middle of the parking lot, which you know can be dangerous for uh, other drivers, depending on where you leave it. It can be annoying and burdensome for the staff of the supermarket to have to haul their ass across the lot to get your, car- your cart. So this post says that the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. And so if you take this theory to the extreme, the shopping cart determines whether a person is a good or a bad member of society. It's almost like that country song, who are you when no one's looking, right? Like if, you know, you wonder, you look at this example in other scenarios with shoplifting, right? Why do people not shoplift? Do do they not shoplift because it's objectively the wrong thing to do? 
Probably not. Most people don't shoplift because it's against the law. And because if you're caught, you will be fought, you, you know, you'll be arrested. And, and it begs the question, particularly in this day and age with social distancing directives and, and guidelines, will you strictly follow those measures for the safety and well-being of every member of society, even if it's not required? Um, because there's been a debate in society in the last, you know, really the last like six months where the CDC has come out and said, everyone should wear a mask, you know, because even if you're safe and you're healthy and you know, you're not, you're not going to be obliterated by the coronavirus, you're a carrier. So you could then transport the virus and expose, you know, hundreds or thousands of other people, um, as has been seen across the world with the pandemic. So the shopping cart theory, you know, there's really a parallel here to the question of whether or not to, to wear a mask because there are people, I I've talked about this and, and you know, you you've probably seen a lot of young people who maybe have stronger immune responses who are sort of throwing caution to the wind and, you know, going to bars and clubs and parties and, and beaches. Um, and you see this across the country, people who are, you know, a, they think they're invincible and they're immune to the virus, or B, they just don't care about the well-being of others. So these are probably people who are not returning their shopping carts, people who are leaving it in the parking lot, you know, and saying to hell with it, who don't even, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if it's even a conscious decision, you know, for those listening, when you finish, uh, you know, grocery shopping and you take all your bags out of the cart, you arrange them, you know, strategically into your, your trunk and you snap the door shut you have that moment, that impasse, right? Is it a reflexive, you know, response that you're just going to wheel your cart back? Is it, you know, a conscious decision? Ah, I'll just leave it. Do you not even think about it? Are you so absent-minded as to just walk away from the cart? Do you move the cart away from your car as you back away? You know, these are all things to consider. And of course, for folks listening who are interested in ethics, I mean, there's different frameworks, right? Like utilitarianism is focused with, you know, on what decision would yield the most beneficial outcome for the good of society, right? If it would be taking the time to wheel the, sh the shopping cart back to make, you know, to make it better for the next person, the concept of, of paying it forward. And you also have, you know, the Kantian theory, which is universalizing the maxim, right? If Everyone, what would you do if everyone, you know, had to live by that standard? Because if everyone returned their shopping cart, you know, we'd live in an orderly, well-functioning society. And if no one returned their shopping cart, let's say everyone had that mindset of, ah, oh, you know, I'll just leave it for, for the next guy. You know, I'll just leave it in the parking lot for the staff member to pick it up. It's not my responsibility. Someone else will do it. We would live in chaos. You know, it would be... You couldn't, you probably couldn't even park in the, you know, in, in the supermarket parking lot because the, it would just be inundated with carts out of order. They'd probably have to hire more staff members to, to, um, you know, to, to monitor that. And it's sort of the same thing with the masks where if, if no one, you know, if everyone sort of had the mindset of, oh, you know, I, I'm not concerned with transmitting it to the next person. I'm a rugged individualist. This is, you know, what's best for me this pandemic would probably last a lot longer. And, you know, folks out there think, and there are schools of thought that the reason, part of the reason why the pandemic is lasting so long in America, um, contrary to the rest of the world, which is moving fast, you know, moving past the pandemic is because of the people who are brushing this off and being dismissive and, and less concerned with that. So I am inclined to think that the shopping cart theory is 
an okay barometer for whether or not you're a good person. And maybe, and, and maybe not even that. Maybe whether or not you're you're mindful, whether or not you're someone who will take a moment to think about others. Um, I'll admit there are times where I'm not in a rush. I have all the time in the world, and I still won't take the extra 15 seconds to wheel my cart back to the uh, what the hell is it called? I'm, I'm actually I'm gonna look it up right now. So it's called a wide cart corral. That's what it's called. So, you know, there are times where I, ha- you know, I'm in absolutely no rush and I won't return it to the shopping cart wide corral. And there's really no justification for that. And on the on the Reddit post, people commented, you know, people who work at the grocery store. One person said, uh, Twitter user at the headhunter wrote, this is true. I'm the cart guy at a grocery store, and I can confirm that I look down on you when I see you abandon the carts. Return your cart, and you're not helping anyone by ditching it. Another user, Mercedes Tractor, tweeted, I worked at a grocery store in the past, and you'd be shocked at how many people don't. Even worse, people will kick it up on the curb so it doesn't roll away, meaning they literally put effort into not returning it. To me, I mean, that's just that's just inane. Like, you're going to take... The, the 10 seconds to wheel your cart to the, to the curb, to the, to the sidewalk, to make sure it doesn't roll away, to make sure, you know, you're not responsible for killing someone, but you're not going to take that same 10 seconds and just return it to the single wide corral. It doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense. And I really do think this is an American problem. I think in America, we don't have respect and consideration for strangers. You know, we have ambivalence. We have indifference to other people in you know someone tweeted that in the netherlands twitter user at run away with me tweeted in the netherlands and other countries in europe you have to put a coin in the cart to be able to take it with you so if you want your coin back you need to put the cart where it belongs so other countries do have installed incentives and penalties for not returning their their shopping carts you know and then you have people who say this one guy brainworms said I don't put it back on purpose because that's someone's job. I want to keep them employed. So that's kind of that's kind of uh, nonsensical. It's like you're you literally could take 10 seconds if you know, assuming you're not in a hurry, there's no emergency to return something, but you consciously decide not to because it's someone's job. I mean, that sort that mindset. Someone else writes back, J.R. Southwick. If I take a dump in a public restroom, I will just leave it for someone else to flush because it's someone's job to clean up after me. How sad that they wouldn't have a job without me. And that's. I mean, you know, it's it's a little a little vulgar, but it's it's true. I mean, you can't that mindset of oh, I'm gonna you know force someone else to do something because it's it's their job. Again, I think this is a uniquely American mindset, and I you know I, I do want to say I want to caveat and say some people can't actually return their cards. I haven't really mentioned that, but if someone is disabled or you know someone just doesn't have the physical strength to like you know move their cart there. That's completely acceptable, right? Like I'm not saying everyone has to return their cart, but it's really for those people who, you know, like I said, there's two schools. There's people who unconsciously, absentmindedly, you know, just don't think about it and leave their cart. Then there's people like this guy, Brain Spoons or whatever, who says, oh, you know what? It's someone else's job to do it. I'm just going to roll my cart down the parking lot and make him go chase it. That, that mindset to me is problematic. So I do think this is a, you know, an efficient gauge on whether or not someone's a good person. So think about that. You know, next time you're at the supermarket, I mean, I'm certainly going to think about it. Next time you're at the supermarket, you have your cart, you are unloading into your car, you snap that, that, uh, trunk, you know, the, the trunk door down, just take a moment, just think like, what 
you know, what kind of person are you? Who are you when no one's looking? Are you going to roll your cart? You know, I mean, when I was a kid, I, I definitely have done that sometimes. You push your cart into a, uh, or you know what's, you know what's something funny is sometimes what you'll do is you'll push your cart into the parking lot and then you'll see that it's heading towards a parked car and you'll panic thinking the cart will do damage. So then you'll chase the cart and then you'll bring it back. So it's almost like if you believe in karma, um, that that's, uh, that's a factor for sure. But I don't know why I decided to bring this up. I just, I really think this concept of who are you when no one's looking, even if you're not a religious person, even if you're not faith oriented, I don't know. I just think we as people, and, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I definitely have to be better myself, but we, we should strive to, to do things not because we're afraid of, you know, of the consequences or because we want to look good for other people. We should do things because we hold ourselves up to a high moral standard. You know, I, at one point in my um, bonus episode, a few episodes back, I mentioned I read the 100 Guiding Principles for Healthy and Worry-Free Living. And one of them was do something nice for someone else and don't tell anyone about it, right? Like, especially, you know, at a time like now, um, it's more important than ever to just do kind things, not for the credit, not for the recognition, not because, you know, you're afraid of what would happen if you didn't, but just because, because that's who you are when no one's looking. I mean, you don't want to be someone who puts on a mask, puts on a disguise, who pretends to be, you know, who pretends to be a certain way in public, but in private is completely different. Like that's, all that's to say, uh, the shopping cart theory is really interesting. So just just give that give that a moment's um, reflection. And I want to transition now. Uh, you know, all, we're talking about ethics and morality. I want to I want to transition into health and wellness. I have talked a lot on the pod about food and nutrition, and I, I you know I don't know if you guys are sick of hearing about it. Uh, I this is this is for sure going to be the last episode I do on on food and nutrition in a while because I definitely want to you know broaden the podcast so we're not just rehashing the same concepts all the time. But the reason why this episode um, and Denise specifically uh, intrigued me is because we haven't talked a whole lot about real food and organic food and uh, the relationship between eating healthy and wellness and I thought this was a nice opportunity to answer some unanswered questions that we had yet to acknowledge on the pod. So today's guest, uh, Denise uh, Stiegel, has 20 years of experience in the study of nutrition, cooking, and coaching on how to educate clients on living happy, healthy, and productive lives through nutrition and through self-empowerment. So Denise is a certified health and life coach, and she empowers clients to take charge of their health and get results and create richer, more fulfilling lives. She's also the CEO and curator of livinghealthylist.com, which is a great resource if you're looking to get some information on on how to eat healthy, how to access real food and incorporate that into your diet. So Denise was an absolute delight to talk to. I hope you guys get a lot out of this conversation. Without further ado, my conversation with Denise Stiegel. Denise, welcome to Nervous Habits. Ricky, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. How do you find that you know, all of everything that's going on in the world has affected your, you know, your work as a, a certified health and life coach? Uh, when it comes to life and health coaching, you know, people are, they're, they're nervous. They're, um, they're just really uncomfortable with all of this uncertainty, not being able to plan, not knowing what's going to happen in the future, which of course, 
none of us really ever know what's going to happen in the future. But for some reason, with this pandemic sitting upon us and all of the noise and all of the news um, that we see, whether it's on the television, we get it on our phones, we get it on Facebook, we're just bombarded with it. And because of that, I think people are just really nervous and have gotten to a point where they they're kind of fallen back to old habits, especially when I my 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 coaching clients, they have fallen back into kind of comfortable habits. Um, And a lot of times that's eating comfort food. That's not exercising the way they would like to. It's staying up late and watching Netflix rather than getting a good night's sleep. And of course, all of these things, um, you know, on top of one another, they just stack on top of one another and make a person feel really crappy. So Mm -hmm. when we think of, you know, healthy lifestyle and healthy living, we think about this pandemic, all of those things I just mentioned are actually the wrong things to be doing. At this point in time, with the pandemic, we want to be making sure that our immune system is at its best. And the way to do that is to make sure you're eating well, to make sure you're sleeping, to make sure you're exercising. So I think for people, they're just really confused as to how they feel, what they should be doing. Um, and so they really have just kind of fallen into this, um, these bad habits, I think. Yeah, that that's very well said, Denise. And and I think you know you talk about eating well, and and I do want that um, to sort of be the focus of our conversation because there are so many different philosophies and so many different perspectives on what it means to eat well. And it seems like the more information we have, the more confusing it is, and the more it, it obfuscates you know what the issues are. So if you you know had to uh, sort of condense it into a couple words or a sentence, what you know what do you think? Uh, or, or what do you relay to your clients that it means to eat well? I have three simple words. Eat real food. And people look at me when I say that, like, well, what do you mean, Denise? And it really, it's really that simple. It's eat plants and so fruits and vegetables. It's your legumes and whole grains. It's your lean beef. It's those fatty fish um, with omega-3s, uh, seeds and nuts. So those are real food Um, and variety, variety of those foods. On on the one hand, it's really simple. But people will say to me, oh, but Denise, you know, I don't want to eat a salad every day. There's so many different foods and so many different varieties of foods that you don't have to eat the same thing over and over again. When it comes to all of the other philosophies, and I've tried them as a health coach, I think it's it's essential for me to be able to say to my clients, well, you know, this is what I experienced because I've tried it. And so I've tried, I've done paleo, I've done Whole30, I've tried keto a couple of times. And the pieces of those programs, it's not a program, it's a lifestyle. It truly is a lifestyle when, it, when you focus on one of these um, eating life, uh, eating philosophies. What I like about each one of them it really does focus, especially like the Whole30, it focuses on eat real food. Now, some of the others take whole food groups out, which I'm always a little leery about. I'm okay with people doing that for a short period of time. But I think to remove whole food groups from your body, you're missing out on so much nutrition that that's not a healthy thing in the long run or for the long run. 
Absolutely. And when you talk about eat real food, I think that folks listening might have a salad or, um, you know, fresh vegetables, maybe a couple times a week or occasionally. Is it but is it necessary to be eating real food every meal every day? Or, you know, can you sort of work in those nutrients, those, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables uh, once in a while? Like, like how often is it essential to really incorporate that into your diet? I believe about 80% of the time. You know, 20% of the time, you know, hey, I'm from New York too. So pizza is my <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, and if I had my druthers, I'd have pizza every week. Oh, what the heck? You know, let's be honest. I probably have it every day for lunch. But I know that the pizza is not giving me anything that my body needs. It tastes darn good. Um, so when I say 80%, you know, that's, you know, you're having, you know, a piece of chicken with maybe some salad or, you know, uh, some kind of roasted veggie. This time of year with grilling outside, you can put anything on the grill. So I think it's really important that the main part of your diet is the real food. But that 20% could be, you know... Go out for dinner on Friday nights. My husband and I do date night on Friday. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that night, I'm not so worried. I'm going to have the bread at the restaurant um, down the road because I know they make it there and I love it. So you can't, you have to focus on eating well most of the time, but you also have to live life and enjoy the things that you really do like. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think I think it's important to not sort of like uh, torture yourself and having to having to eat, you know, seven days a week, uh, just that the same, you know, bland grilled chicken or, or steamed vegetables. But I will say, you know, I like that you brought up you can throw your your chicken, your steak, uh, your turkey onto the grill, because I do think that changing the way that you prepare meat, for example, will sort of like vary up and, and uh, ensure that the food is is different. It's on a day to day. I mean, if you think about chicken, eating the same piece of grilled chicken uh, for dinner every day, that doesn't sound too enticing. But then when you talk about air frying your chicken or mm -hmm. baking your chicken or, you know, ste uh, sauteing or putting it on a grill, that really adds a lot to the dish, I would imagine. It absolutely does. And I, it's funny that you, we bring, you bring up chicken because I can make chicken every single day of the year and it will be different. 365 days out of the year, that chicken will taste different. It will look different because I have actually, my background is hotel restaurant business management. So my, my initial um, education is in food and food nutrition. So I love to cook. I actually even, I created a program a couple of weeks uh, or a couple of years ago called Five Dinners in an Hour. And it literally wow. focuses on in one hour, you can make five chicken dishes. And, you know, some of it's stir fry. One, one of it is a stir fry. One of them is a chicken taco. Um, you know, so literally you're sauteing and you're grilling and you're putting something in the oven all at the same time. So just in that respect with those five dinners, you've got chicken same, you know, boring piece of chicken breast, five different ways with seasoning and spices um, that really liven up the food and also liven up the veggies because, you know, I, I, I get it. I don't want to have a salad every single day for the rest of my life, you know, as every meal. But if you change up what you put in that salad, you know, if it if you add uh, roasted veggies to the salad, um, mm. 
all of a sudden that sa- that salad isn't the same boring salad anymore. Yeah, I think that some people fall into the trap, Denise, of thinking that a salad has to be romaine lettuce and shredded carrots and and you know tomatoes and cucumbers. But you can really you know you can spice it up. I have a salad I I'm, I've talked about on the podcast. I, I make with one of my best friends where we add you know hard boiled eggs, we add lemon, we add chickpeas. Um, you know, we, we had all sorts of exotic, uh, vegetables and by the end of it, you don't even need dressing. Cause it's so, you know, it's, it's, uh, so saturated with those flavors. Um, and, and that, that zest. So I think that is important. And also I had a food network chef come on the podcast as well earlier. And we were talking about how vegetables, when you season them, right, they can be delicious. If you add some, uh, you know, put some asparagus, in the oven, drizzled with olive oil, you add some salt, some oregano, some rosemary. Um, it'll, you know, it'll be restaurant quality asparagus for a couple dollars from the grocery store. Exactly. You're making me hungry. Just think of that. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, I have asparagus upstairs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and, and it comes with honestly, it comes with experimentation in the kitchen. I, I know that. I went through a phase when I was younger when I only really ate frozen vegetables and you know the more that that you you know you see something you don't recognize in the store you throw it in the oven you know you put some some olive oil on it and and you realize that a lot of these things actually taste just as good I mean it's not it's not pizza um but it doesn't have to be you know the the same salad or, or the same bland meal that that maybe you're used to having right and I think the more you experiment and the more you try different foods your palate really does change. And those kind of greasy things that you used to eat on a regular basis, even it's funny that you mentioned frozen vegetables, because growing up, I know that's all we ever had was boiled frozen vegetables. And (laughs) they never tasted like anything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, now I have such, um, such a vast palate. Now I do, my again, my background is food. So this is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, even to the point where with my coaching clients, you know, they would say to me, Denise, I don't want to eat a salad. And I would talk about this, about adding different things in and, oh, but I don't like that. And so what I did was I actually went and I took a professional uh, plant-based cooking class. So I could say to my clients, hey, have you thought about making this dish with these vegetables in this way? And their eyes pop out because they see that vegetables just don't have to be steamed or roasted. There's so many things that you can do with with veggies, even if you've roasted them or sauteed them. You can add them to uh, different salads. You can make a salad. Forget the lettuce. You don't need lettuce. Little, Like you said, a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper. And all of a sudden you have this amazing, delicious dish and it's broccoli and, you know, some other root vegetables. And you're going, huh, this actually tastes pretty good. No, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think that it comes down to adding, you know, adding to the vegetable or, or, you know, whatever the, the food is. Uh, I, I want to go back a moment ago, we were talking about the different ways to cook meat uh, and, and you were, you know, you mentioned something about putting chicken on, on the barbecue or, the, or on the grill in general, if you're cooking a dish like chicken in a number of different ways, whether it be roasting or baking or grilling, do you find that certain measures of cooking are more nutritious than others that, uh, you know, maybe cooking it one way might reduce the nutrient content, or is it pretty much the same across the board? Well, there's always the argument when it comes to grilling that, you know, if you have a good char on your meat, chicken or beef, whatever it might be, that that could be carcinogenic. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's something to think about. It's not, you know, so is it, is it still healthy? Yes, it is. 
adding the char to it adds a little bit of flavor. But, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, are you doing it every day? How much are you doing? Usually they say um, the quickest method is usually the best uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to nutrition. But when it comes to meat, I don't really believe that it makes that much of a difference. Vegetables, I would say absolutely it does. Okay, that's that's good to know. Yeah, because I actually I, I have heard the same thing that when you're uh, when you're grilling meat at high temperatures, you mm-hmm. have like fat melting and um, dripping onto the grill. You also have, like you said, uh, potential toxic compounds, right. um, you know, uh, links to to cancer. But a lot of that's very difficult to prove. So it, it, it comes down to how much risk you're you're willing to, to stomach. And like you said, if you're doing it every day, maybe you have a higher risk, but once in a while it doesn't seem all that bad. Right. And and it's funny. So years ago when I was in when I was in college, uh, my sister bought me one Christmas, uh, George Foreman grill. I remember the George Foremans. That George Foreman grill gives me that 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 same type of kind of uh, grilled crunch like you would get on a barbecue, actually without the black tarring. So, you know, that's another option uh, for people who are thinking, okay, hmm, you know, I'm not sure that I like the idea that, you know, barbecuing could be carcinogenic and cause cancer. Um, and it's, there's a possibility they haven't, you know, it's one of those things um, associated with, but there, you know, there's no actual link. But again, if it's, if it's, if there's a question, um, it's it's important to at least know about. So, you know, there are lots of different ways that you can prepare things. And nowadays there's, <laughs> there's a kitchen gadget for just about everything. Um, oh yeah. The, the air fryer, the, um, I know Lagasse is always coming up with a good one. Um, I bought, I got an air fryer a couple of years ago and now he has one, a new one out. That's even better. Um, the air fryer, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because the air fryer is something that I just, for the life of me, I can't understand. Because if you taste deep fried food and then you taste air fried food, it tastes exactly the same. But somehow the air fryer, you know, it, it, it's just infinitely more healthy. So I, I, I wonder, you know, what's going on with that? It's that high temperature heat, um, you know, kind of like when you take a piece of bread and you put it in the, to- in, in the toaster and then, you know, it heats up and, you know, the toast tastes a lot different than just the raw bread. Yeah. It just caramelizes um, and it just changes the, 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 the compounds of the food. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. For sure. And, and, and uh, I actually, I don't have an air fryer, but it's, it's sort of been on my wish list for a while um, because it's, you know, you get sick of having the same, you know, this, like, like you said, the same texture and it definitely mixes things up. So we've been talking, Denise, in general about real food, but just to get more specific, um, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, you've really seen an increase in demand for organic food, for locally grown produce, locally grown, you know, meats uh, around the world. You've seen chains like uh, Whole Foods and you've seen fast casual restaurants like Chopped and Sweet Green really, you know, blow up because of their focus on eating healthy and eating organic. So what do you think is responsible for this change in, in how we look at food? I truly believe it's it's awareness. We are aware of all of the new foods that are out there. Um, so when I used to work in restaurants um, and catering, you know, the focus was feeding people so they wouldn't get hungry. Uh, they wouldn't be hungry for like the cheapest amount uh, of, of cost. And that was a very different focus. So, you know, then foods were real, kind of the cheap foods that were heavier, that were more filling, where now 
restaurants and the Food Network has been great for this. And so has the Internet. You know, we see these beautiful salads and these amazing veggie dishes that um, that the chefs are cooking on on television or on uh, social media. And it really has opened our eyes to different ways of cooking, plant based cooking, um, farm to table type of cooking. We didn't really know about those kinds of things years ago. Although when you think about it, back in the day when people farmed more, there was a lot more farm to table. It just was family farm to family table. And so I think that's really where the concept and the awareness comes in. Um, you know, we're much more conscious of global warming and sustainability, pesticides in our food and our food sources. So truly, I think it all comes back to awareness. Yeah, I think I, I think awareness is key. Uh, I, I do think there's a sort of a social class component to it because, you know, when you think about the accessibility of not just the information, but the accessibility of these products, you know, you can you can go to a Whole Foods and get top notch, high quality vegetables for, you know, five or six bucks. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like um, kale or Swiss chard. Or you can get something sort of, you know, more generic, cheaper from the uh, the supermarket for a fraction of the price. So you almost have to wonder, is it that people who are more wealthy, more privileged can afford to, to exercise that social justice oriented, you know, socially conscious mindset? And, you know, are we ever going to reach a point when food that, you know, is organic and, and, you know, is of that quality is available to everyone, regardless of class? I definitely, I definitely see where um, places like Whole Foods and some of those more high-end specialty stores are—they're a—they are a lot more expensive. Though I have to say, Whole Foods really has um, their prices have gone down since Amazon uh, bought them. Mm. But actually, I do see that those high prices for those organic and those better, higher-quality foods, their other stores are starting to pick those up. So you have stores like. Trader Joe's and um, and Aldi, those stores have a great amount of of organic produce and and meat and things like that. Where you know when Whole Foods first came out, they were kind of the only ones um, and stores of that ilk. But those I hate to say lower quality because that's not what I mean. Um, lower priced stores are picking up on that. Their demographic is looking for that food too. And so it's kind of, it's not quite um, as cheap as some of the, you know, the chain supermarkets, um, but Aldi and Trader Joe's are actually chain stores, um, still kind of specialty stores, mm -hmm. but, are, but it really is, those prices are coming down. Yeah. And I think, I do think, you know, it's, it's hard to argue with the benefits of, eating organically from a macro level, right? About how you are by restricting, you know, pesticides and fertilizers, by promoting, you know, uh, better ecology, biodiversity, you're reducing your carbon footprint, um, mm -hmm. and you're helping to, you know, ensure for a better environment holistically. But pragmatically speaking, Denise, if someone's listening and they're like, you know, what's the benefit to me? Is it actually better from a health perspective to eat, you know, uh, an organic banana as opposed to say an ordinary you know mass factory produced one is it is it better for the health of the individual all things being equal yes eating organic is more nutritious is more beneficial for you 
there's less of a carbon footprint, there's less pesticides because with organic, there are no pesticides. So in a whole, yes, they, it absolutely is better for you. When you're eating, you, you're really looking for the nutrition factor. It's the, it's the vitamins and the minerals and the antioxidants that your body requires for you to actually live a life. So again, all things being equal, yes. However, but when I remember when I was on a budget, uh, when I was single and, you know, I knew how much money I had, I had to be very particular. So the environmental work group or EWR, they come out with something called the dirty dozen every year. And for the most part, I say to people, if you're going to buy food, fruits and veggies, these are the 12 that you buy organically. And for the most part, similar ones every year. So things like strawberries, um, apples, Mm -hmm. lots of pesticides on both of those. Uh, Peppers. Uh, I don't know why, but there's a lot of pesticides that they find in peppers. Uh, Things like celery, uh, peaches and plums. I think cucumbers are on that list. Uh, Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. It just depends on, you know, what they what they found. So when it comes to the fruits and vegetables, Those are the ones that I would say, yes, 100% eat those or buy those organically. But for people listening who don't have, um, you know, like a granular understanding of of pesticides, what, you know, what's the problem with eating fruits that have pesticides on them? You know, why is that uh, detrimental to to our functioning or to our health? Okay, sure. Definitely. Uh, Thank you for asking that question. So pesticides, one, of course, they're chemical, they're synthetic chemicals, and they react in your body uh, in a very negative way. Um, Essentially, they're a foreign substance, so your body basically attacks it. So just like when you cut your finger and um, it starts to swell and there's a little bit of infection there, Mm -hmm. when you eat something that has pesticides or things that your body thinks of as foreign invaders, it's going to attack it. And that's what causes inflammation in the body. Now, the thing with inflammation, you can't feel inflammation. Um, You know, how do you measure it? Yes, you can go to the doctor and they can do some testing. But inflammation is one of those things that's really hard to test for. But we know that so many of the diseases that we have today um, are based because of inflammation in the body. Things like Parkinson's disease, infertility, certain cancers. So pesticides, when you think of pesticides and these synthetic chemicals, they're getting sprayed on the food, they're getting sprayed in the soil. And no matter how much you clean, you wash the food, it's actually gone into the soil where the food has grown. And so it's actually in the food that you're eating. So no matter what you try to do, you're ingesting a little bit of that, you know, every time you eat something. Also, yeah. you know, to some extent, this I think this, uh, you know, weaves in elements of politics and policy because you have to wonder, Denise, why the EPA, which regulates pesticides, you know, why why they allow some of these mass producers to even, you know, sell products that have pesticides on them. Well, you you kind of put it, you know, nail on the head there um, when it comes to politics um, and and money. There's so much of that. Um, and it's it's really sad because we know that, um, you know, there's been research being done different places. Um, you know, the, the one that I read recently was a study by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. 
And it was specifically about um, glyphosate, which is Roundup. And that, you know, it's, it's connected to Parkinson's disease and infertility. Those are two things that um, if you know anybody, like so many people struggle with infertility. More people um, are coming, um, getting the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And almost all of us know somebody who's been affected by cancer and some strange cancers uh, as well. So do I think it's politics and money? Of course, it's the only answer. Um, You know, when you think about it, the people who are working with these pesticides, these, you know, fertilizers, insecticides, whatever they are, you know, we're talking about it's bad for us because we're eating it. Think about the workers on the plantations who are actually using these. And these guys are exposed to these toxins all the time. And so, you know, they're suffering so much more than than we are. We're thinking, oh, it's just a teeny bit at a time. Maybe it's not such a big deal. But it's a big deal for those people um, who are really living, uh, living and working with this, um, these products. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it is, it is alarming. Um, it is something that that the public should think seriously about when they're, you know, going to the voting booth in November. I remember reading a, a couple nutrition books on this about how I'm sure you've heard of this, but uh, those two big uh, beneficiaries of the farm subsidy uh, subsidies, the companies Cargill and ADM, something like 40 percent of the nation's farms, uh, or rather, forty percent of agricultural subsidies go to Cargill and ADM um, for their production of corn and wheat and soybean. Those are the biggest ones. And the government spends like something like $20 billion a year on it. So definitely it's this sort of uh, self-perpetuating cycle where the government ensures that, um, you know, these uh, pesticide laden products will uh, stay on the market. It's cheap for the farmers to produce. It's cheap for the consumers to buy. Everyone benefits, uh, at least superficially, until you, you know, look at, as you said, in the long term, how this is, you know, leading to diseases like Parkinson's and cancer. So it all, it all sort of blends together. You know, the ideas of food and nutrition with, uh, with politics and and with policy. Sadly, it does, and and it always has. Um, there's some really good programs that I've seen recently. One of them was on the meat packing back in like the early 1900s. I mean, we think, you know, we're, we're complaining about it now, but it was really bad back then. And guess mm. what? Politics has played in that role since day one. You know, who, got, who, who didn't care about it? Well, the people that were making money selling the stuff. You know, and when you think of the, you know, the, the farmer, you know, the, living in Minnesota, I mean, literally, I live between the cornfields and the, and the soybean fields and the cows. Um, mm-hmm. So we see it every day. Um, the interesting thing here with the corn is most of the corn that's grown here isn't for human consumption. It's for the cows. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that's that's a big component, too, Denise, about and, and I was planning to talk to you in a minute about uh, corn fed versus grass fed mm-hmm. uh, fed cows. We can talk about it now about how uh, in general, the, the research, the, the literature shows that grass fed beef is much better for not just the cow, but for the consumer. But because corn fed beef leads to, you know, fatter cows, you can feed mm-hmm. a cow much more corn than you can grass, as well as it's much cheaper for the farms. That's what ends up being perpetuated. Exactly. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, people always say, oh, you are what you eat. Well, if you eat meat, no, you're not. You are what you're what you're eating. 
And that's where that, you know, the corn, I mean, think about it. If they're just eating corn and it's GMO corn, it's got some nutrition, not a ton. You know, corn really doesn't have a lot of nutrients that, you know, that our body needs. It tastes good, but you, know, you don't need a lot of corn in your diet as a, as a person. You really don't need a lot of diet of corn in your diet if you're a cow. The things that are missing when, so when you talk about, you know, the corn, the corn fed, they're just given one thing and think, you know, how boring would that be? But mm -hmm. you're not getting any uh, diversity with vitamins and minerals and, and those type of uh, micro macronutrients compared to the pasture fed or gra grass fed. I always think of gra grass fed. You just think of them eating like the grass that you have in front of your house, but mm -hmm. you're really pasture fed. And um, if you've ever actually walked by a pasture uh, or through a pasture, you realize that it's not just grass. There's a lot of other stuff that are that's growing in there. Different clover, wild onions, different types of grasses, um, even some, you know, some flowers that they'll eat, you know, edible flowers. So there's diversity in the food um, that the cows are eating. So that's why that's one of the reasons why um, grass fed um, cows are better for us, because they're eating better. So they're healthier. And so that makes us healthier. They also, um, with the clover and the onion, and I think it's, um, the wild onions have um, healthy fatty acids like omega-3s, which mm -hmm. corn doesn't have that. So, you know, you're getting these additional uh, benefits when you're eating grass-fed um, beef compared to corn-fed. Do they taste any different? I honestly think the grass-fed tastes better, but I think that's possibly because of my palate. A mm -hmm. lot of people tell me that grass-fed beef is kind of um, softer. It's um, kind of what they remember eating as a kid, um, whereas grass-fed is, is, isn't as fatty. So it's a little more, uh, may, maybe a little tougher to eat. But personally, I don't, I don't notice that. You know, it's interesting. This is a very timely conversation. Did you see uh, the new Burger King commercial? Oh, I haven't. So Burger King, I uh, so there was a commercial. Do you do you know that kid Mason Ramsey who who was yodeling in the Walmart? Oh yeah yeah yeah. So he did a commercial for Burger King. Essentially, uh, due to pressure on all the fast food companies to um to reduce their carbon footprint, Burger King has now promised that they're gonna uh, start feeding all of their cows a lemon a diet consisting of uh of lemongrass as a way of reducing their methane emissions, essentially, you know, eliminating the cow farts and helping to, you know, cut back on uh, the CO2 emissions um, of Burger King cows in, into the atmosphere. So it does, you know, beg the question, is this going to become the new normal? You know, when, when, you know, when you and I were both growing up, uh, cows were, you know, all cows were, were corn fed. And now it seems like, uh, you know, if, if this is the, the new standard, it might be the case that there's no longer grass-fed beef and corn-fed beef. It's just beef going forward. If that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Um, I, it is definitely interesting to see where all of this is going to go. Um, mm. Is it sustainable? You know, um, you know, the corn-fed beef, corn-fed cow, corn-fed cows are cheaper for the mm -hmm. for the farmer. We get that. I mean, I understand that. Um, for some of those farmers, it's just not possible for them to do grass fed. They need more property. It takes more time. So it is interesting 
knowing that to see, you know, where, where we're going to go with this. Is it all going to be, you know, because of our awareness uh, and our health and, and wellness consciousness, um, consciousness of the planet and sustainability, are we going to go down that route? Or is it more the politics and the cheaper because we can feed more people? Um, it'll right. be interesting to see. I, I do think there'll always be a market for that higher end. Mm -hmm. um, but will it keep increasing? I don't know. And it, it is also interesting. You mentioned uh, whether grass-fed beef tastes better because I think you see with eggs the same kind of uh, you know conflict where you have cage-free eggs versus you know caged chicken eggs. You have free-range chickens, um, and generally speaking, again, a lot of it comes down to price. You go to the supermarket, you can get a dozen eggs for $1.50 or you can get um, you know the organic cage-free eggs for three times the price. I do think the eggs are a better value or, or rather the eggs end up tasting better. Um, but again, you know, uh, what's the what's the health benefit there if there is one? If you're eating the eggs of a chicken that was confined to a cage versus, you know, an egg from a chicken that was just roaming around, it, it there has to be like a placebo effect, no? The deal, you know, cage cage free and 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 free range is always one of those kind of things. Like, oh, it's cage free chicken, and we make we we kind of think then the the chicken is out there kind of roaming around doing what he wants to do. So yeah, they may not be stuck in a coop all the time, um, but they still may not have a lot of um, a lot of room to roam around. Um, free roaming, probably have a little bit more space. But think about it. If you are, you know, you think about the, the regular um, chickens, like chicken coop. There's a, mm -hmm. you know, there's hundreds of them in a chicken coop really close together. Um, think about people being in a, in, in a enclosed space, small enclosed space like that for most of the day, that can't be healthy, right? Same thing with the chicken. And so that's where they need to use antibiotics to make sure that the chickens are healthy. So they're not getting diseased. And so again, you know, if they're getting, um, injections with antibiotics or they're feeding them antibiotics, eventually, if you eat the egg or the chicken, you're going to be eating those antibiotics. So that is really the difference when it comes to cage-free, free-range compared to organic eggs. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up antibiotics too because we've been talking about pesticides mm -hmm. and you know responses from, from companies and farms. And we'd be remiss to also mention the controversy surrounding antibiotic injections and uh, or, or you know chickens being fed antibiotics because I do think you know this is another area where you see a lot of fast food restaurants for example like Chipotle and Panera are you know they always um, you know sort of promulgate the message of we ensure that our chickens are antibiotic free and other companies you know uh, they haven't necessarily followed suit yet and like you said there is a pragmatic reason why the chickens need to be injected with antibiotics that might also become a thing of the past soon enough right antibiotics have their place absolutely they do you know if you have um you know think about it if you have strep throat you're in a lot of pain you need an antibiotic to get rid of strep throat but there's there's a big there's a a cause and effect and it goes away um, when you're in, when you're on a farm and there's a lot of cows, if one cow gets something, you kind of have to treat all of the cows, not just want the one that you think is sick. So it really is kind of this, you know, <laughs> herd mentality. You have to kind of treat, treat all, um, even if one is sick. 
Definitely. Definitely. And a lot of our conversation thus far has been about the, you know, the science of nutrition and, and, and the policy and what happens at the government level. But I think, you know, there is also place to discuss the ethics of this conversation. I, I did an episode with a friend of mine um, who was a, a vegan vegetarian. He was a, um, a master's in philosophy student. And, you know, we just talked about w what it means to be an ethical person and how we eat. Because I'd imagine, Denise, a lot of people listening might be perfectly content, sort of, you know, keeping that iron curtain intact, not really thinking about or concerning themselves with what happens on these chicken farms, you know, with, with what happens to these animals or even, um, for plants, not concerning themselves with pesticides and they might live a perfectly, you know, healthy life, uh, eating that way. But how do you sort of reconcile that lifestyle with what it means to, to be an ethical person and, and, you know, sort of from that perspective? You're yeah, there are always going to be those people that, ah, whatever, you know, they're not, they, they read the data or they kind of poo poo the data um, and all of the research and the things that, that show that there's possibilities, you know, that you could get sick, it increases cancer. And yeah, those are, there are those people that, you know, eat horribly, you know, bad diet, don't exercise, and they may not necessarily live a very healthy, happy lifestyle. Because, you know, because of what they've chosen when it comes to, you know, some other people, though, like I know myself, like I've read the data, I understand the data, but I'm not just thinking of me. I'm thinking about my niece and nephew and their kids, you know, sustainably, you know, you know, ethically, sustainably, it kind of goes hand in hand because if we're doing the right things now, then our kids and our grandkids will benefit from that. One, if we're eating better foods, less pesticides, less antibiotics, we can live a healthier, happier life and actually teach our, you know, the next generation and the next generation. So I think that's really an important piece. There's always going to be the, the naysayers and the people who uh, just don't care. Um, but I think more, more and more that people are understanding this and why it's important and and their understanding that there is an ethical uh, conversation there definitely and, and as you said as we think about the next generation we think about our, our our kids our nieces and nephews you know sustainability becomes more and more important because you know you're looking at fossil fuel emissions and you're thinking about climate change and all of this figures into the conversation if everyone uh, has that attitude that you mentioned of just poo-pooing it and, you know, looking at it from a self-serving perspective and not really concerning themselves with the future, then we're, you know, really not putting you know, future generations in the best position. So I do think it's it's important to um, to have that have that perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. So sort of to, to bring the conversation back to, you know, uh, to a lay perspective here for mm -hmm. someone who's who's listening, who's at the grocery store. Um, what healthy swaps do you think might make sense for them? Some easy substitutions for eating real food or eating organically that you don't think would would break the bank. How can someone with financial restrictions incorporate some of the the guidelines and the advice that we're discussing into their their daily eating regimens? So again, uh, the the dirty dozen, um, though, so it's the dirty dozen and the clean the clean fifteen. Those are things to definitely pay attention to, and. You know, look at some of the other stores. Like I mentioned, Aldi. Um, 
I was just there the other day um, and, you know, their organic section, I'm always amazed by what they have. Their organic section is growing. Um, and so it's cheaper. So that's one one thing is to, you know, to kind of think outside the uh, big box store, you know, the, the Acme's and the uh, Costco's. Um, if you have a big family, Costco may be the place to go. And again, they have a really good organic section. Um, when it comes to organic meat or eggs, um, you know, do you need to eat the beef is more expensive than organic chicken or turkey? So, you know, what can you swap there? Um, I know I made um, turkey burgers the other day um, that were just delicious. And, you know, the turkey was $2.99 or a pound or $1.99 a pound for organic uh, or, yeah, it was organic turkey compared to the grass-fed beef, which was $5.99. So mm. those, are the, th those are the swaps that I think you can make without a lot of flavor changes. Little things like that make a big deal. Um, you know, people always love, but I love my chips and things like that. Um, again, when it comes to those kind of snacky things that are not exactly eat real food, those are the items where, you know, you, looking at the price is important, but also looking at what they're made from. Um, anything that is outside of that eat real food that comes in a bag, a box, uh, or some kind of container will have a list of ingredients. Five or less is what you're looking for when it comes to ingredients. And know the things that are triggers, like what all the different names for sugar. High fructose corn syrup is in pretty much everything um, on the regular um, grocery aisle. So those are things to pay attention to. Um, and again, price-wise, if you buy one that is less expensive or has... Um, is more organic or better for you, it may be a little bit more money. But I think you can even out in other places. You also have to wonder if the future even involves grocery shopping altogether. I know like companies, I mean, you see the Amazon marketplace where people will just order their food online and have it shipped to them. You see companies like Blue Apron where they'll just, you know, send you, they'll deliver like a uh, a, a box of the pre-made ingredients and you just throw it in the microwave or, or, or what, something like that. So will people even be making these, uh, you know, these decisions anymore? Will they be going out and shopping? You know, will it all happen over the computer? It's all things to, to think about, you know, in the next 10, 20 years and how technology is going to affect this. It's very true. Um, and pretty much all of the supermarkets um, will do um, – you can shop online. Uh, my, my mom's in New Jersey. I'm here in Minnesota. A couple of weeks ago, I ordered her uh, groceries from Aldi, um, delivered right to her door. And it was quick and easy. I did it from here from you know Minnesota. Um, I've tried <laughs> as a health coach. I, I said this earlier, you know, I've kind of tried a lot of things because I need to be able to say to my my clients and my customers, hey, I've tried this. This works. This doesn't. This is how much this costs, you know, compared to other things. So things like um, Blue Apron and the Happy Chef or uh, Marley Spoon is another one. That one's by. Hello, um, I think Hello HelloFresh is also getting pretty big. Yes. HelloFresh. I think HelloFresh is actually the big one. That one and the Blue Apron are the two big ones. Cost wise, on the one hand, and this is this is kind of depends on how many people you have on your family. because This is kind of cost benefit. You know, some of these are nine dollars um, a meal. Some of them are five dollars a meal, 
depends on how many people. But then the question is, is it something that's already been made and you just have to stick it in the microwave? Never think that's a good idea because think of microwave. Microwave is, <laughs> you're, you're kind of irradiating your food. Takes away the that's, that's exactly that's exactly what you run. We talked about the microwave. Um, you know, I, I did an episode on cancer uh, about whether or not microwave radiation causes cancer, and and we broke that down. It's it's yep. it's probably the worst way you could heat up your food. Yep, um, it is. Um, one of the things I mean, I suggest to people if you're going to heat up your food, I love a steamer basket over um over water. I actually use a steamer basket, uh, like a Chinese steamer basket. I put it in my wok with some water underneath it and steam the food uh, that way to to heat it up. Because, you know, the microwave just, it, it, it drives me crazy that people will just cook a whole meal in a microwave and they think that's okay. It's quick. I'll give you that. And sometimes those meals are cheap, especially if you get like a, one of them from the supermarket. Those things can be really inexpensive. And I guess when you're on a budget that that takes over, it's, oh, it's cheap. It'll, it'll fit into my budget. As opposed to taking a little bit of time and actually planning and prepping and, and cooking food. So like when I make a stir fry, which funny I'm making for dinner tonight, I will make, there'll be enough for a whole other serving. And so what I can do with that is I can freeze that. And next week or two weeks from now, when my husband and I are come home late, we're going, oh, shoot, what are we going to do for dinner? I can take that, put it in the steamer basket and have it ready. And so one of the other things I think that I, I, I should have mentioned earlier um, is really when it comes to cooking and prepping and planning meals, if you do that, you actually save a ton of money by just by planning what you're going to make for the next week. And, you know, those days when, you know, broccoli's on sale. So you buy a little extra broccoli, you blanch it and you put it in the freezer. So there are lots of tips and tricks in uh, different ways to eat healthy, eat that organic, eat in a good way um, and still remain on a budget. Absolutely. I, I'm with you. I, I like to cook. I think it could be very therapeutic after a long week. I think if you're bored, it could be a good way to, you know, tease out some creativity and, and try new <laughs> things. But there, you know, you, you don't always have time to, you know, to sit down and make an extravagant meal. So I think I think it all comes down to a balance and, and seeing what works for you on a week to week basis. Absolutely. And, and I really do wholeheartedly believe that uh, meal, meal prepping, uh, meal planning and prepping saves time, saves money, and it's more nutritious uh, for everyone. Um, I have an argument with my sister all the time, and she'll say to me, well, you know, Denise, I work five days a week and only get two days off uh, from work. So, you know, to spend a whole hour, you know, planning and prepping food on a Sunday, you know, that's just not going to happen. And I said to her one time, I said, even if that one hour on a Sunday is going to make the rest of your week easier and she said, well, I don't know, will it? And so we actually tested. <laughs> so she was my test subject because she was so against it. And she realized that it, it did make the rest of the week. It was simple. Even if she hadn't cooked something, she knew mm. what she was making. So it was already in the refrigerator and she knew what she had. So she wasn't getting home going, oh, God, I didn't take anything out of the freezer. 
So it, there's a little bit of mindfulness and mindset involved when it comes to uh, to eating well. Yeah, I mean, uh, two things real quick. First, it's not a slight against your sister. I think people are so stubborn and so set, set in their ways with things like food prep that to just embrace a change in their lifestyle could be so like earth shatteringly, you know, horrifying. So I, I do give her credit for stepping outside our comfort zone and implore listeners to do the same. And second, the, the benefit of meal prep, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a law student. So if I come back after a 12 hour day of um, classes and studying, I don't want to have to sit and prepare a meal. I also don't want to order out every day. So right. to be able to, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come home and throw some food in the oven or, you know, God forbid the microwave just right. takes a, a huge burden off and to have a high quality, you know, hot meal that uh, that I like to think is, is better than anything I could have you know ordered online anyway, that for me makes my life a lot easier. Absolutely. And because you're eating better, better quality food with the, the nutrition that your body needs, you feel better, you'll sleep better, your stomach will feel better. So all of those things will help you the next day when you have another 12 hour day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Denise. Well, listen, this has been a delightful conversation. I'm sure my listeners want to know, first of all, where they can connect with you and also how they can learn more about your work with living healthy list. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much, Ricky. This has been great. Um, I, I can talk about this forever. It's one of my, I truly, it's one of my passions. Um, so the way to get in touch with me, really simple. You can find me on, on the internet uh, at livinghealthylist.com. Uh, list like your shopping list. Uh, directly from there, you can uh, connect with me. There is a form that you can fill out and that email comes directly to my email. Uh, and I, so I, I get that uh, as soon as it comes over. And so then uh, it asks for your phone number so I can call you or email you whatever you request. Um, so there really is a face to the name behind Living Healthy List. And it's a website, but it's, it's truly a health and wellness resource for people who are looking for honest and reliable information from experts they can trust. On Living Healthy List, obviously I am the co-founder, the CEO, and I'm also the curator, which means that the people that are participating in Living Healthy List, the experts who write some of the blogs and first part, uh, bring some of the information, these are all people that I know, I trust, um, I've researched, so when you're looking for information on health and wellness, personal development and fun too, we are a place to come for connection because you can connect with one of our experts. Again, you can connect directly from uh, directly to me from the website um, and get the information that you're looking for. Awesome. Awesome. I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to be taking a look at that to get more information. Thank you again, Denise. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you, Ricky. I appreciate it. So that was my conversation with uh, Denise Stiegel. You know, I, I know I like to pride myself on being a vigilant and self-aware consumer when it comes to eating nutritiously. You know, I didn't know all this about pesticides and antibiotics um, and how sick they can make you. And I think for me, I think I might, I think I might be allergic to pesticides in certain foods because I know with apples specifically, if I don't eat organic apples, my throat starts to itch. So that, that was pretty interesting. And I like the, uh, the dirty dozen, the 12 fruits and vegetables that you have to buy organically because pesticides are used so much on them. Just in case you missed it, the dirty dozen are the foods that the fruits and vegetables that are sprayed most often with pesticides. So these are the ones that you should be buying organically if you want to avoid ingesting those chemicals. And they are strawberries, spinach, kale, nectarines, apples, grapes, peaches, cherries, 
pears, tomatoes, celery, and potatoes. One more time. Strawberries, spinach, kale, nectarines, apples, grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, and potatoes. So those are the ones that you should be buying organically. I am so guilty of, of buying. I mean, of, of these, I eat spinach and kale very regularly, and I, I, buy, um, I don't buy organic, so that's problematic. I don't buy organic tomatoes. I don't buy organic celery or potatoes. So I, I have a lot of work to do on myself. Um, so those are the ones that, you know, do not eat conventional, uh, those conventional fruits and vegetables. Then you have the, the Clean 15, which is also published by the Environmental Working Group. And I'm assuming these are the ones that are the opposite. These are the ones that don't have as many pesticides sprayed. And these are avocados, sweet corn, pineapple, onions, papaya, sweet peas, eggplants, asparagus, cauliflower, cantaloupe, broccoli, mushrooms, cabbage, honeydew melon, and kiwi. So these are the ones that you, you know, I guess you shouldn't be as concerned about eating them organically. Avocados, corn, pineapple, onions, papaya, sweet peas, eggplant, asparagus, cauliflower, cantaloupe, broccoli, mushrooms, cabbage, melon, and kiwi. Um, interesting. So yeah, same thing. Like I, I definitely purchase non-organic avocados, pineapples, onions, uh, broccoli, mushrooms. I, I just honestly, I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. I, most of, you know, produce accounts for like more than half of my, uh, my, my grocery list. But anyways, it was, it was a, a very enlightening conversation with, with Denise. Um, definitely urge you to go to livinghealthylist.com if you have questions for her, if you want to learn more about um, health and wellness as it pertains to diet and nutrition. And yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be it for nutrition for, for a little while on the pod. We're going to be changing gears going forward. Next week, I'm going to be delving into the dark web. I actually spent a day probing and poking around the 97 to 99% of the internet that you can only access with special anonymized software. I'm going to be talking about what I saw and what I found. That's coming up next week. Should be a really interesting episode here on Nervous Habits. Thank you so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. Follow the pod on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore. You can search for episodes on YouTube, search Nervous Habits Podcast, and write into the pod at Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com, Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com. And remember, if you're at the supermarket and you're buying kale and you see a little bunch of regular and a bag of organic, pay the extra 50 cents and go with organic. Your body will thank you. Take care and stay nervous.